0: As beneficiaries of UMS Right, we want to understand those who are before us so that we can help those who follow after. As told through the eyes of supporters and faculty, students and grandparents, we know this podcast will help all of us understand how and why UMS Right has been so successful. This is The Right Way. So again, welcome to all of our listeners. Excited once again to join with you as we continue to really have just fascinating opportunities to have conversations with different individuals um, that really kind of help us understand UMS Ride its traditions, its history, successes and failures. Today we have a very uh, an old friend of mine. I call him an old friend because I had the chance to teach him in the seventh grade and had a chance to watch his career. Um, as an employee here and watch his career as a student, uh, not only at UMS Wright, but then in college and then in, in, in the military and then finally in, in business and industry. And so I think his name will be very familiar to to you, but it's uh, Nathan Cox. Um, Nathan comes from a, a storied family of individuals who attended UMS Wright, including his father and his brother. Uh, and so excited to have Nathan here. And, and I thought about talking with you, Nathan, primarily because we inducted you into the Athletic Hall of Fame a couple of years ago, and uh, so you and I had a chance to talk then and run into each other, but man, I'm excited about spending some time with you today. Yeah, absolutely. It's good to be back and always uh, good to be visiting with you, and I'm not in trouble, so that's <laughs> really nice. So you got to understand, I-, I taught Nathan, if you if you know him now, and you will if you don't <clears> through this <throat> podcast, I taught him as a t- 12-year-old brother, and you ought to try that on for a little bit, man. I
1: actually had a uh, an email sent to me yesterday from one of my CPAs that handles our uh, auditing, <clears throat> and he said I ran into Phillips Crabtree, who I've not seen since we graduated high wow. school, and he said oddly enough, you know, your name came up immediately. That class of two
0: thousand, you know, I, I just completely botched your mm-hmm. whole thing, but the yeah. class of two thousand was a really unique class, uh, you know, and and I remember teaching you guys. I think we were in the main hall on Wright Hall, and we did. We, I taught American history, right? So right. we would do those. Um, I'd give you reading assignments every night, which y'all hated. But I mean, they were like a page and a half, and and we have little short quizzes, you know, yeah. every day just to check for your reading. And I, you know, of course, we don't do this now because it wouldn't, it would be embarrassing to a child. We don't want to do that. But I would say, okay, you know, here's five questions, and exchange your papers, and then you know, it would just be a little short daily grade. And I'd say, hey, if you want to call your name, your grade out when I call your name, just say, you know, four out of five, or five out of five, or three out of five. And uh, you were always five out of five. And one of your partners over there, one of our coaches here, would always get up out of his desk and walk up there. And you always give him so much grief. You're like, Dean, just say it, man. <laughs> Well, I think that was one of my cheat
1: codes too. You know, I was always in so much trouble and I had so many other things that I was trying to combat, you know, at least making good grades, remove yeah. that conversation, you know, at school and at home. Yeah, it's true. So I always uh, made sure that grades were part of it. And I never let on how hard I worked either. You know, my, my, oh, friend, sure. my friends and my teachers, they didn't know the, the hours that I put in to do well. And it was important to me. Plus I had my dad lying to me, you know, telling me his grades were always better than mine. And so I think my granny... Finally got tired of hearing that story my junior or senior year, and she went and pulled out his report cards. And, and they were good, but you know, all the years he'd been telling me that, that his grades were always better than mine, I think I had him one up. So Hey,
0: that motivation matters in life, though, right?
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, I was always, uh, you know, I, th- I think later in life as I spent more and more time, you know, really studying myself, yeah. you know, and kind of how I got to be. Where I am, the good and the bad, you know, really going through personality traits and doing some soul searching. It was evident that I was a pleaser and approver. Yeah, you know, and those were kind of two things that uh, you know, always really made me up to be who I am then and and really now. And those character traits have good and bad, right? Sure, you know, sure. they are probably very uh, indicative of a high achiever, but you know, they're also exhausting, yeah. you know, and, and can lead to you know some personal challenges, you know, at times too, burning yourself out or, you know. Compromising, you know, different things to to try to go make somebody else happy or lead you down a path that's not necessarily what you want to do because you think it's what somebody else wants. But uh, yeah, I think wow. that I think that defines a lot of really my youth and my experience at, at UMS as well. Uh, not only because my dad meant so much and yeah. continues to mean so much to me, wanting to follow in his footsteps and the successful career he had at UMS, right back when it was a military school. Right. I mean, don't kid yourself. You know, he had. That trophy case in our house from the time that I was four years old—I could remember every single award he won at UMS. You know, whether it was the Mosteller Award as the you know best junior football player. And then, you know, that was a goal of mine. Yeah, which you did. Yeah, which, you, which, which I was yeah, able to get. Yeah. But that was a goal of mine, you know, as a kid. And then you get that, or then you get on the senior year and being captain of the football team, or you know, whatever else it was. And I think that speaks to some of the things, like you said, the traditions of yeah. UMS and and how cool that stuff is to kind of see it, you know, pass down. That's incredible. And you,
0: you know, you think about <clears throat> these these characteristics that people have, you know, and you mentioned yours and and being a pleaser and. And, and where that leads. So just kind of quickly, Nathan Nathan finished uh, here in, in 2000, class of 2000 at UMS, where you heard a little bit of his athletic accolades. We'll talk a little bit more about those as well. Went on to play football at the University of Alabama and uh, finished his undergraduate degree there. And then, man, you, you, you know, you you kind of took a different path and you know, in, in joining the, the United States Marine Corps, and you know, as a Marine, as you still are a Marine, was that, was that part of those characteristics that led there as well? I mean, is that something you saw coming? That that one, that one caught, that one surprised me when I heard. I mean, I don't know why, but well,
1: you of all people, Coach Barber, should know that I need mm-hmm. discipline in my life, I right? Understand. Yeah, if I don't have somebody, uh, pumping me over the head or hitting me with a rubber band in the back of my neck. You know? <laughs> I don't I'm know not, who do yeah, that. I, I, got my, I got my wife now. You know, she, she doesn't even uh, cross the 100-pound scale, but I'm scared to death of her. So Yeah. You know, she's about your size. You know, so maybe it's maybe it's just maybe I just have a fear of you know people smaller than me. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's it. But no, healthy fear. Yeah, healthy fear, right? <laughs> but in, in all seriousness, you know, the military was something that was always very interesting to me. Okay. I mean, I used to always say, "Man, I wish UMS was still a uh, military school." Mm. Yeah, but anyway, no. But going back to that, the I mean, military was always something I was fascinated with. I love the tradition. I love the culture. I mean, growing yeah. up in sports, you know, just that camaraderie. So it was important to me. And you know. Evident by my playing career at Alabama, my athletic ability, like, never was SEC caliber, right? Mm -hmm, I mean, I I didn't have uh, scholarship offers to, you know, SEC schools, and my athletic ability was really more akin to a West Point, a Navy, uh, an Ivy League, you know, type program. But my dad had played for Coach Bryant in the early 70s, and, you know, growing up, it was always important to me to, you know, Kind of really follow after yeah, him in so many respects. So having a chance to go walk on, I had an academic scholarship at Alabama. You know, had some relationships with the coaching staff through the recruiting process, and at the time that was Coach Dubose's last year. Uh, some of those coaches actually even played with Dad, so you know there was some some natural connections there. And you know, as a as an eighteen year old, you're like, sure. well, I'll just go out work everybody. Uh, <laughs> so I remember going up there for my first workout during the summer. And it was like a pass scale or something. I called Dad afterward. I was like, I don't have a prayer. He goes, I told you, son. I told you, yeah. <laughs> what are you gonna do? And I was like, Well, I'm not gonna quit. I'm, you know, so I'll just stick it out four more years. That's how stubborn I am, right? Mm. But anyways, uh, while I was at Alabama, nine uh, eleven, you know, yeah. took place. And the military had always been something interesting to me. I'd gotten a an appointment to West Point, Navy, you know, coming out of high school, and you know, that was something that if I didn't go to Alabama, I probably I ended don't up think I knew that. Yeah. man. is that right? Yeah. So yeah, wow. I I didn't go the full process. Process yeah. of like, all right, you're 100% accepted. Yeah. But I mean, I was on that route okay. if that was important to me. Um, and my SATs or everything were never off the charts. I mean, they were solid, but it was not like Harvard was beating down my door to yeah. be like, man, you're the smartest kid we've ever seen. You know, <laughs> like, well, I did make an A plus in Coach Barber's eighth grade history. You know, so that was tough to do. Yeah, plus, I mean, it plus, was tough yeah. to do. You know, I was reading at a fourth grade level, so I think I was covered. You know, but uh, <laughs> but anyway, you know. Um, so, no, I mean, I was nowhere near the caliber academic that you see these kids coming yeah, now that's yeah. like, oh, I made a perfect score and I can't get into Vanderbilt. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's unreal it how amazing these kids are these days and how much more competitive it is it, it, yeah. than what we dealt with. Yeah, uh, But anyway, going back to that, so, you know, 9-11, you know, had taken place and, you know, a re- immediately I, I felt kind of a call to serve. That was my sophomore year, and I was in the recruiter station the next day. Mm. You know, ready to go enlist. And you know, in my mind, it was like, all right, I'm ready to go to war. Give me a gun. You know, is there a plane I get on? You know, how do I go get over there and start shooting at people? And so once they started kind of explaining the process, you know, you still got to go through a year of training, and there's no guarantee where you'll kind of end up. And The recruiter said, I've never done this before, but I'm going to try to talk you out of enlisting. He's like, Hmm. you know, you got a 4.0 average. You're on scholarship at the University of Alabama. You're playing football. Um, You know, you're the type guy that we as enlisted Marines, you know, want to follow. Go finish, get your degree, and uh, become an officer. So that kind of became, you know, my goal. And, you know, I graduated and was very fortunate to have good grades at Alabama, you know, as well. Uh, Got into law school, got in the MBA program. Uh, but I really wanted to to go join right. Now,
0: don't lose your point in the story, But sure. did you and Brad Israel did y'all talk about that when that was going on? Because his path was kind of similar. Were y'all having those conversations? Yeah, no. Brad
1: and I have always been extremely close. Yeah, you know, I mean, our, our friendship's just one of those special ones that spanned you know almost four decades now, and and been. Attached to the hip since really kindergarten, so we've always been communicating, you know, on things. And mm-hmm. and Brad had a mentor at Hampton Sydney, right. General Wilson, who was an Army guy, who you know he was uh you know very very engaged with on a daily basis, and who Brad really looked up to. So I think naturally the Army route kind right, of went that right. direction for him. But I was uh, telling somebody else this story the other day. I was like, I remember Brad calling me, and I'll get back to the story, but I remember Brad calling. He goes, Well, how did you know that the Marine Corps is what you wanted to do? I'm like. Because man, those are the guys fighting, those are guys on the front line. Mm-hmm. I want to be with I want to be with them. He's like, Well, I think the army kind of offers more of a career path, and you know, there's more options as you get into. It. I was like, Yeah, I'm not into that, man. I'm <laughs> i trying to go get some, Yeah, you know. So yeah, anyway. Yeah. But uh, but no, Brad had an amazing career in the Army, much more decorated than mine in the Marine Corps. And you know, Army has schools and teaches you all this cool stuff. The Marines just give you a gun and say, All right, when people start shooting at you. Run towards it and shoot back, wow. you know, so mm. it's pretty easy. Uh, fits my personality type really well, you know. Yeah. Give me the path of most resistance, I'll choose it every time. Every time. Yeah, but no, but going back, so I, I graduated, and uh, this is another funny story. So we're sitting in uh, Hawaii finishing our last game. So this was my fourth coaching staff in four years at wow. Alabama. Yeah. You know, the glorious distinction of the only class in history <laughs> to have a losing record at Alabama. Yeah, we were preseason number three my freshman year, had the number one recruiting class in America, and we proceeded to go, I think, 24 and 25 and have four coaches wow. in my career there. Uh, but I always tell people you can't blame me because I didn't play enough, you know, <laughs> so it's not my fault.
0: And how uh, important does that show you too, right, Nathan? And, and we're going to talk a lot yeah. about this, but 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 the leadership of an organization and how if there's not, if there's not a clear oh, yeah. vision and stability in that, that even the best classes, it, you're not going to get the results you're looking for.
1: Yeah, man. I mean, so goes the leader, so goes the culture, and yeah. so goes culture, so goes everything. Yeah. I mean, it really yeah. is. And, yeah. I, and I think UMS is, is a school that embodies that. I mean, UMS gets culture right, you know? I mean, there's no doubt about it. The Marine Corps has done the best job of any organization in the history of the world, in my opinion, of mm-hmm. getting culture right. Yeah, you know, all of us. is the first thing we want to do is go get that tattoo. Yeah, you know, on our body the second we earn it. I mean, that's how much it means wow. to you. And I hadn't seen anybody get a '68 Ventures tattoo on their chest yet, so I still <laughs> got know, I still know. got a little ways to go. As Brad would say, you probably got to get one first, buddy, if you want to have anybody else buy in on that. So maybe we'll do some branding or something in the parking that is lot so one day. Awesome. I mean, yeah. I- yeah.
0: Uh, yeah. I, the
1: problem is the ones who would probably do it are maybe some of the ones you you may not are 100% confident are yeah, going to be there forever yeah, too, yeah. you know. Yeah. You
0: better start with some of those hemp tattoos yeah. first, you know. But, no, but
1: going back to Coach Sheila, I had one more year of eligibility, you know, cuz I didn't play much, you know, mm-hmm. so I understand. they let you play longer if you're not any good. <laughs> you know, I don't know how that works, but uh he's like, "So you coming back for one more year?" I was like, "Coach Sheila, I would rather go join the Marine Corps and go to Iraq (laughs) and play another year of football. Like, I am so over this. That is awesome. Yeah, I got lucky my senior year. I was actually teaching economics, and it worked out well that my economics class happened to be, you know, halfway through practice on Tuesday and Thursday. But we had two freshmen uh, All-Americans, Tim Castile, who was a Briarwood kid. It was awesome. One of the best high school athletes I ever saw. And then Ron McLean, who both ended up playing in the NFL. So they came in my... My senior year, and I was like, I can tell you how much I'm about to play this year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so they were like, Hey, just make sure they know the plays, and we won't even make you put on a helmet this year. And I'm like, Deal. You know? So I would uh, bounce out after stretching and be like, I got to go, teach. I gotta go I'll, teach. I'll see I'm, y'all later. You know? It was so perfect. It's fine. But, you know, another thing, too, that's funny about my football career is even though Alabama is so much better now than we were then, somebody like me would get to play. Fifty times more today because Alabama blows everybody out. Yeah, you would be. You know, like the, all right, I'm yeah. second team, I'm third team, whatever. You know, I, I go, I'm in the 105 every year. You know, I never miss a practice. I make good grades. I say yes, sir. I get in a little bit of trouble, but you know, nothing, yeah. nothing. You know, nothing you can't get around. But you know, it's like okay, we're up by 48 points. Yeah, put Cox in. It'll be fun. Let him run the ball. <laughs> That'll be funny. Let's give him the ball. But we go schedule Northern Illinois. So those are like the kind of games where I'm like, all right, mom, you know, dad. Yeah, Alan, you know, nephews, everybody make sure y'all come to Northern Illinois. Then we go to triple overtime
0: and lose nine to six, you know. It's like, yeah. You know, they call those the rest of y'alls, the Roy's. <laughs>
1: yeah, everybody you know, else yeah, gets to play. Everybody else, yeah. yeah. I resemble
0: that in my college career, too, so that's all right. Yeah, so anyway, but uh, – anyway, But, so no, look,
1: I mean, but I, I wouldn't trade it, you know, yeah. for anything. I mean, the arthritis, the pain, I mean, oh, my God. All you were going gl- to have it anyway. All the glory, geez. You are going to have it anyway. Yeah, it was funny. Uh, yeah, a lot of things in my life are funny, Yeah, so – Years ago at Bayside, that's where my kids are, my oldest daughter, Savannah, they had like show and tell or something. And it was like, hey, you want me to, uh, you know, come in and talk about football, bring a helmet, jersey, you know, whatever. And she's like, yeah, that'd be cool. And I was like, I'll get Will Lowry, who works with me. And he he played for Coach Saban. So, I come in, I have my A Club ring and my Independence Bowl ring. That's the hardware (laughs) I got from Alabama. And for those of y'all that don't know, A Club is any athlete at Alabama that letters, doesn't matter, golf, tennis, swimming, football, you get one of those. And normally I wear that every day, but I left it on my desk this morning uh, on accident. But uh, so, you know, I come in, that's what I have. Will Lowry you know who's I don't know what seven eight years younger than me you know comes in he's got like three or four cases you know national championship rings orange bowl rings SEC championship rings he's like keeps pulling them out and all the kids are like just and Savannah's just kind of over there like looking at me and I'm finally like just so y'all all all know he works for me yeah that's right just Just so (laughs) y'all know so when Will started we'd go to lunch and he'd have like one of his rings on and you know course everybody's like oh can i see that you know which one's this i was like here's the deal dude you can wear your a club ring that's it we're not wearing anything else to work we're not Not having that we're not wearing national championship rings to work every day i love it but fast forward now will's been with me eight years he's running one of my biggest organizations you know he's like a brother to me you know love him to death and that's just another thing that you know life coming full circle you know we met through other relationships and didn't know anything about anything when he and i started together and just so cool to see somebody like that that Where's, he, where's Will from? He's from Hoover, so oh, he was okay. uh, what was the Hard Knocks? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what he, I he was on that, and I, I then thought. he's actually married to John Parker Wilson's oh, little okay. sister. Okay, you know? so they they've got a real you know athletic uh, family all the way around. But yeah, same type thing, and I'm sure it's some of the stuff that we'll kick around you know later today. But Will's just one of those people you meet that has all the intangibles: the drive, the toughness, the competitive spirit, the high standards for himself and everybody around him. And it was like, man, we don't, you know, you don't know what you're doing, but we'll, we'll figure something out. Yeah. And then here we are, you know, eight years later and the guy's just running an amazing business and, you know, servant's heart that wants to make everybody around him better and put others ahead of himself. And man, if you go back to that, yeah, you know, that's probably my number one thing, you know, from my college experience that I'm disappointed in is that I never had, whether it was an assistant coach, a head coach, you know, that person that. I'm quoting day in and day out yeah. to my kids, to my work. Yeah. Like, well, you know what Coach Dubose used to yeah. always say? Or, you know, Coach Shula was an amazing man. I only had one year with him. Um, it's just a first-class person in every respect. But I always had the feeling that he was kind of a stopgap. Yeah, You know, yeah. had the Alabama pedigree, good, clean face, amazing name. But they were waiting for Whatever. the next saving. Yeah. You know I mean? Yeah. I, and, and I don't know if he got a fair deal or not because I thought he was an incredible person. Um, But I didn't have enough time with him. He and I got along really well. But I never had that, you know, four years with him to really take something away with it. Like Brody Crowell, who's still one of my closest friends, he probably has a totally different relationship with Coach Shula. And he can probably quote him on something he learned or took away from, you know, Mike that he had learned from his dad, Don. I mean, whatever that may be. But like growing up as a dad who talked about Coach Bright every single day. Or a, a will who got to learn from Nick Saban, yeah. right? Yeah, I didn't get that, and uh, and you don't have to go play it in Alabama to have a coach or a teacher that can impact your life like uh, General Wilson did yeah. Yeah. with Brad. But I didn't have that at Alabama from an athletic perspective, and that to me is is my biggest regret. Not my playing time. Like no, I, I understand. I mean, I never yeah. was going to make a career out of playing football. I would have loved to have played more. Don't get me wrong or been a part of championship teams. But not having that assistant coach or head coach that I'm still talking to today as a mentor, you know, mentee relationship, that's probably my biggest, you know, letdown. Is there anybody
0: in the military that kind of did that for you? Or or is it more just like you said, the culture of the Marines?
1: Yeah, I I think the culture is what I take away. And and from a leadership perspective, um, you know, the biggest thing that I learned is, you know, growing up as an athlete, I always thought that, my role as a leader was to outwork everybody and to go perform. You know, be the first one there, be the last one to leave, bust your tail, you know, at practice, give more than anybody else. And then when it came time to play, you know, you did your job. You mean, you went out there and you made it happen. And that was what a leader was. Uh, When I got in the Marine Corps, you know, what I learned about being a leader was it's putting everybody else ahead of yourself, you know, like what's best for everybody that's counting on you is all that matters. And if you do that and the people around you believe that, you know, they'll run towards bullets for you. you know? They'll run through bombs going off. You know, they will do everything in the world for you if they know that all you care about is what's best for them. And I've taken that you know, into work now, and I feel like that's kind of our culture. You know, everybody knows how much they mean to me and that every decision I make is for them, not for me, or it's for what's best for the whole and because of that level of trust that's been able to be built, you know, we've been able to build an incredible organization that's, you know, really, in my mind, you know, just getting started. But to me, like, and I, and I hate to say this, you know, Brad is one of my best friends and, you know, co-captain with Coach Curtis, you know, in our senior year, we were playing inside linebacker together. If he was player of the week, I mean, it ate me alive. Mm. But that's not right, you know. To me, if I'm being a real leader, if I'm being a captain of that team, nothing should make me more excited than somebody else who's playing alongside of me just got recognized for their. Efforts. But isn't
0: that a learning process, Nathan? Oh, yeah. Because we're man, all kind God. of we're all kind of ingrained like oh. that. But isn't that? the growth and development you're looking for into young adulthood and adulthood, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I was telling, uh, so I was fortunate. I had my midlife crisis really in my mid-30s. I didn't wait till 40. You know, I've always been an overachiever, so I like to get that stuff (laughs) out out of the way. way. Uh, But I was talking to one of my, you know, kind of life coaches this morning, uh, Mark Fernandez, who's out of Virginia. And, you know, he and I have been close now. We met in 2015, and, you know, we were talking about just kind of life cycles and, the maturity process. Mm -hmm. And and I told him, you know, me getting to a point where I'm at today at 40 of being comfortable in my own skin, you know, really took three to five years of some really hard, deep, painful work, you know, whether it's going through childhood traumas or, you know, Coach Barber hazing you physically Mm -hmm. in front of the class, Mm -hmm. you know, or having to read off a 4 out of 5 instead of a 5 out of 5, you know, and the shame that All I All that felt, shame yeah. that I put on you. Yeah, I mean, but, no, I mean, dealing with things that happen throughout the course of your yeah. life. I mean, a, a big struggle for me was survivor's guilt, you know, coming mm. back from yeah. Iraq, you know yeah. I mean? Yeah. Uh, dealt with, you know, alcoholism, yeah. dealt with, you know, fighting just because I hated myself and was guilty that I was alive and other guys mm. that uh, I was responsible for, you know, were not. Uh, and thank goodness I was telling my daughter this weekend on a daddy daughter, you know, weekend, we were talking about, you know, faith and uh, re- faith and spirituality is a huge part of my life today. But I spent the darkest time I've ever had, you know, as an atheist getting back from war. You know, mm. there's always this expression. There's no atheist in a foxhole. Yeah. Well, there's also not one in the delivery room. Wow. And I told yeah. her, I said, you know, what got me back to, to God was you, Angel. You know, I met your mom and we got married and we had you. And I can remember clear as day being in the delivery room crying my eyes out, and that's what started my walk back, Mm. you know, with the Lord. And fortunately, I had some other people who really cared about me that were concerned, you know, that were trying to get me, you know, back into into the church and back into a good routine. And, you know, faith is a massive part of my life uh, today. But again— that's another one of those things where I'm so comfortable that it's like everybody's got their own thing and we all look at it differently. Like it doesn't matter to me if you're Jewish, if you're Muslim, you know, if you're Buddhist, like just believe in something bigger than yourself, because I know how empty this world is. If you don't have that, you know, and that's, what's really, you know, important to me in that respect. And I I think another thing is you're talking about just like, what are some learning points? And, you know, one of the coolest moments you have with your kids, is just when you're in the car. You know, because you have them trapped.
0: It's it's just you and them.
1: And you don't turn on the radio, and you're not on your phone, and and you got to entertain them. So, you know, some of my best conversations lead to that. And, you know, Savannah and I, again, my oldest one, is a lot like me in so many ways. Very competitive, you know, wants to understand things. But she was like, Dad, what's uh, what are your biggest regrets? I'm like, man, that's a good question on a Saturday morning Mm -hmm. as we're driving to Owa. But I was like, (laughs) I'll give you two. Um, and I'll give you two and I'll give you one on the personal front and I'll give you one on the business front. And I said on the personal front, you know, my biggest regret, and I can talk some of this as it relates to UMS, but you know, is that how many awesome, amazing relationships I missed out on because of my own ignorance, because mm-hmm. I spent too many years thinking people had to look like me, talk like me, think like me, like the same things I liked, you know, believe in the same things I believed for them to be my friend, for Mm -hmm. me to be, you know, able to give them time, for us to be relatable, for it to be okay for me to hang out with them. And she's like, well, how long did it take you to figure that out? I was like, sadly, probably into my mid-30s, you know. And I can look back at UMS, how many incredibly talented people that had skills totally different than mine, whether it was artistic, you know, whether it was intellectual, you Mm -hmm. know, whether it was scientific, whatever it may be, or had different backgrounds, And, you know, I'll be first to tell you, I was ignorant, you know, I was the the meathead or I don't think I was necessarily mean to anybody, you know, and I I think I've always kind of had a soft spot for standing up for, you know, the the underdog in some respect. But there's plenty of times that I can look back on how I treated people or how I didn't stand up and say, that's not right, stop, Mm. you know. Uh, that I am ashamed of, you Mm. know, and and there's people that I went to school with at UMS that I've reached out to on LinkedIn and said, hey, I just want to let you know, i let you down. And I don't expect you to call me and say you forgive me or anything, but just, you know, that is something that's come up that I could have done better. And there's a lot of people that I go back to that was like, man, you know, I could have had this relationship or I could have learned this or I could have been a better person at 16 years old if I wouldn't have just thought, you know, my only friends are athletes that, you know, like Alabama yeah. and are super conservative and in mean, the world, so different now uh, yeah. from, I mean, yeah. where it was then, but things today that I just don't even phase me or don't even bother me, or I don't even have an opinion. You know, I kind of go back to the Plato quote, everybody's fighting a hard battle, mm. you know, ease up, man. Yeah. You know, if, if people are doing the best they can and are trying, I mean, we're all dealing with something. It's incredible, Nathan. Yeah. I mean, I don't yeah. care who you are. Mm-hmm. Everybody's got hurt. Everybody's got pain. We all got secrets that we don't want to share on this podcast, Yeah, you know, but sure. I mean, it's like, that's reality. And if you give people a little bit of a break, you know, it's okay. Uh, but also, you know, and I'll get back to the other point, but it's also too, that where I was telling uh, Mark this morning, he's like, what's your biggest source of anxiety right now? It's like, how many incredible relationships I have in my life that I don't have time for, uh, well, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like how many people I care about so much that I enjoy and I mean so much to them that we don't have enough time. I mean, my dad, who I talk to just about every day, you know, every time I talk to him, all he tells me is I don't ever come out to his house. Yeah. And I'm sure you'll listen to this at some point, Dad. I told him this morning I was going to start keeping an Excel sheet so I could give him a report every month on how many times I'd invited him over or how many times we'd been to see him. And I was like, we were at your house last weekend. First time in six months. So I'm like, we were there two weeks
0: before that.
1: Yeah, But anyway, that but no, so I mean, funny. that's like the biggest thing for me. I mean, even like... Uh, you know, Charlie Dodson, who yeah. has been one of my best friends since, again, we were four years old. We were kayaking yesterday together and we were trying to start making ourselves. Like, yeah, you know, Charlie was the first person to come work with me. We got over 600 people that work with us now and he was team member number one wow. and Socially, I mean, I bet we hadn't done one thing together socially in a year. You know, we may interact work-wise, but everybody's got their
0: life. Yeah, and the kids, I mean, you know, it all changes. He's here, I'm there. I mean, it's just part of it. And sometimes Mobile and Baldwin County, you might as well be in two different countries, right? Yeah. I mean, it's it's just strange how that happens. But so to the first one, one.
1: Yeah, what's the second? Yeah, one? so the second one was on the business side, yeah. and 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 I would give this advice to to really anybody, especially somebody that's entrepreneurial. But you know, it's the time that I spent on things or people, you know, relationships that never were going to matter, even mm. if I got it right. You know, mm. like thinking small kind of thing. Like if you got into a business and you're like, oh well. Yeah, you know, this is going to cash flow immediately. Why not get into it? And next thing you know, three years have gone by, and how much energy, how much time, how much effort have gone into something that never is going so to move the needle? It's so never the going ROI. To is just dead. yeah, it's not there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the same thing with people. You know, mm-hmm. if you have somebody who's mediocre, if you have somebody who's status quo, you have somebody who's going to ride your coattails. You know, a zebra doesn't change its stripes, mm-hmm. right? So, like, quit trying to think that you're going to make somebody something they're not. And I've gotten very Mm -hmm. comfortable that all I owe somebody is one, to do exactly what I say I'm going to do, and two, give them an opportunity. Mm -hmm. And if somebody takes it and makes something of it, then great. But if not and it's not working out, you know, address it now. Don't wait two years. Don't wait five years. And that was something that, you know, I had to learn young as a, or earlier on in my career, you know, as a leader, as a CEO, Mm -hmm. I was always like, well, I can fix them or it's my fault. I'll just give them another title. I'll hire somebody else around them. The reason they're not successful, it's not them. It's me.
0: Yeah. I think we, I think all leaders and organizations face that Uh at different, at different levels. Right. Mm -hmm. And so You know, part of the reason why independent education works, in my opinion, uh, and having you know been in independent world for over 28 years, you know this idea that 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 you are as you know you're you're as good as your last lesson, right? And and a lot of people see tenure laws as being protective Mm -hmm. of them, and in independent education, typically there aren't tenure laws. But but good workers good employees people who are good at their craft or good at their trade or have that skill set they don't need a tenure law yeah. to protect them right yeah. i mean and so i think about that a lot you know because we obviously we're all being evaluated all the time i mean all the time every decision every encounter i mean it's all about evaluating mm-hmm. and and uh and then being willing because you when you said that what kind of resonated with me with people is that yeah we we, we invest in folks and we, we hey, we want to hire this person. We want to put this person in this position. And if they don't work out, you, you know, so then we do pour too much into that uh-huh. rather than just saying, okay, here's the feedback, here are the expectations. Now go use your skill set to accomplish that. And don't, have, you don't have to do it like Doug would do it. Sure. Right. I mean, it, and it can be different. And that's a, that's a big leadership. Thing that we talk about a lot with our team. So, so we've been we've we've crushed about thirty minutes here. So I'm going to take a short break. Um, listen, I, I y- you know, there's no way I can get in depth with everything <laughs> that you're going into because you're so deep with some stuff. So I'm going to try to pull some things out that I've heard you say, and then we're going to talk a little bit about um, your 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 business ventures and and uh, you know kind of what led to that and what is you know kind of what your vision is moving forward because I think. Um, where you are from, from a from an industry standpoint, has so has as much to do with your vision for what you want your people to be, and you've kind of already said that a little bit. But I think, I mean, I think they're just. I, it, it reminds me, hopefully, of, of UMS, right? And I've seen that for a long time here. That. Um, you know, that we are doing all we can to take care of the people who make us who we are, right? I can't do it all. Sure. I mean, just not not, not, not physically. You're only one man. Yeah, and I'm not uh. very smart, so I cannot do it all, right? So you got to surround yourself, Nathan, with people who understand and buy in. And I want to talk a little bit about that because that is um, what I what is so important to me to protect when I pass the baton to the next person who sits in my chair because that's all it is, is a, as Sandy Stimson says, it's a borrowed chair that I have right and uh, i want to talk a little bit about that but we're going to take a break so i can take a breath and try to get all that nathan has said through here so and we'll be right back with uh, nathan cox you're listening to the right way welcome back so um, we've had such a great time i have i know you have as well listening and, and hearing from nathan cox uh, We've talked uh, a lot of – I mean, he's just poured so many things in, and my head's kind of spinning a little bit right now, but uh, that's why I always enjoy talking to him. Even as a – I'm telling you, even as a seventh grader, he would bring things up to me, and I'd be like, wow, have I really had to, I really have to think about that. Well, one of my greatest joys is making
1: people uncomfortable.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You didn't make me uncomfortable. It's a real passion. That's yeah. not
1: true. I mean, I you were looking up to me and, you know, I mean, it was I had that all that long hair. You know,
0: I I thought about you. I was thinking about you this morning when I was driving over, <laughs> knowing that we were going to talk and I was I was just kind of think. And that's how I kind of remembered yeah. that exercise that I did with yeah. reading and y'all coming up there and I I remember um uh, yeah, I I just you you've had an interesting career. We, when you first came back from Iraq, I had uh, I asked you to come over and speak to the middle school. Mm -hmm. I remember you came over and spoke to our middle school students uh, in the cafeteria, actually. Um, So, you know, and then seeing you, like I said, a couple years ago in the athletic hall of fame. Let's talk a little bit about your, you you know, once your military career um, was over, and I think you came out as a first lieutenant, Mm -hmm. right, out of the Marine Corps, and then so so. Kind of tell our listeners kind of where you are and what what you guys do. I know you've got Bellator and yeah. you've got, I mean, you've got some really cool concepts that I, again, I'm interested in because I think it really highlights kind of your your vision of, of what you're trying to create, which I think is really cool.
1: Yeah, sure. So um, I started in 2007, spent the first year as a real estate agent. I was having a couple surgeries after getting back out of the Marine Corps uh, on my knee and uh, then of course you know 2008 happened and the world started changing yeah. pretty dramatically, which was right after I had started Bellator, which was just a one merc one person you know, real estate brokerage uh, kind of operation. And then Charlie Dodson, yeah. uh, UMS graduate, got two girls here, uh, came over you know and joined me as well. And uh, I was like, man, I have no idea what we're doing, but we'll figure it out together, you mm-hmm. know, kind of thing. And uh, so we spent really our first few years kind of focused just on opportunities that came out of. Um, you know, distressed real estate, you know, really things that were kind of falling apart. And uh, I always tell folks the best thing that ever happened to me financially was going into the Marine Corps because I missed those well, three, three yeah. or four years of uh, run up because don't kid yourself. It wasn't like I was smart and, you know, had the vision that all this would take place. It was just I was engaged somewhere else to where I wasn't involved in it. So I didn't get saddled with a bunch of, you know, bad assets that kind of put me under or tied me up and had the ability to leverage a lot of relationships that were formed through UMS. Uh, You know, people either I grew up with uh, and their parents or people that dad had done business with previously and was able to start assembling investors and buying things and doing different things and just trying to kind of figure it all out. And, uh, you know, 2011 started our home building company, Truland Homes, which has now become one of the biggest, you know, in the country and um you know right around the top 100 every year is a testament to how hard so many people have worked to make that happen uh but we started that in 2011 and you know from there I really kind of started believing in the vertical integration type mm-hmm. model and uh quickly it had run into a situation where I was kind of out of financial resources so actually tapped into again UMS relationships Uh, You know, Billy Stimson, you know, being one of those, Ralph Reynolds, Davis Pilot and his family. I mean, just some amazing people that I had met along the way there who were already doing other things with me and uh, said, hey, look, I've kind of got this vision to go create this thing, but I need some help. So those guys, you know, got involved and we formed a company, Battle Plan Capital, um, that at the time just owned Bellator and Trulin. But also in conjunction with that, we were doing a big real estate fund, Gulf Coast Opportunities Fund, me, Billy, Ralph, and Cullen Thompson, yeah. another UMS guy. Um, and so we went and launched that. So kind of 2012 is when things started getting a little bit bigger, you know, for me. Uh, and then fast forward a few years, you know, later – 2016, you know, we had kind of reached a point to where I was earlier in my career. I wanted to keep growing. Yeah. You know, those guys didn't have any debt in their life except with me. And they were just kind of like, look, we just did this to help you, but we're not interested in continuing to you know, kind of throw the chips out there. Yeah, sure. And I was like, all right, well, I want to keep going. Like, well, just tell us what you want to do. You know, gracious as they always are. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I want to keep going. Like, well, just figure out how to buy us out. Okay. You yeah, know, so... 2016, you know, bunch of banks, you're calling in favors with everybody yeah. I could call in a favor, you know, guys I played football with who'd been in the NFL or calling dad and you know i be like, "Hey, this is a this is a son a son favor, not a business deal. I I need to borrow some money, but Anyway, was able to work it out with those guys just because of the amazing people that they are. And I'm still close with every single one of them. Uh, and that's when 68 Ventures was formed. Okay. And so uh, the story behind 68 is pretty cool. Most people are like, is that your football number? I'm like, no, believe it or not. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I didn't play offensive line at Alabama. But um, but uh, so 68 is actually a hockey story and not many hockey fans in our neck of the woods. So Yamir Yager, you mm-hmm. know, who yeah. I describe as the Michael Jordan of hockey, wore the number 68 because his grandfather was killed in the 1968 Russian invasion of Czechoslovakia. Mm. And the reason he wore it was to remind himself every time he took the ice, he was playing for his family. He was playing for his country. You know, he wasn't playing for money, one playing for fame, one playing for medals, one playing for the ladies. I mean, he was playing for something bigger than himself. So when he was tired, when he was hurt, when he didn't want to get out of bed and go to workouts, whatever it may be, that's what kind of inspired him. So, I mean, you know, I heard that story from Dr. Kevin Elko, you know, I'm sure everybody's heard at some point or another. And I was like, man, that just really resonated with me. So I started thinking about like, what's really my 68. And a lot of that, you know, kind of comes from uh, you know, my experience here at this school, it comes from the military, but my 68 is for all those who sacrificed for me to be where I'm at and all Mm -hmm. those counting on me going forward to carry out the plans God has. And, you know, I've been more than once in a situation where I should be dead. You know, whether that's in war or that's making a bad decision on Saturday night. Yeah, you know, yeah. there's plenty of reasons I should not be here. You know, I, I've I've used up I probably used up my nine lives before I got out of middle school, you know. <laughs> and uh here we are today. You know, I got all the scars to prove it. Yeah. And I know everybody's got a Nathan story somewhere along the way. But you know, that really to me is like, you know, God has a plan for me. Everything that He's seen me through, everything that I've endured, everything that He's gotten me on the other side of is because he's got work for me to kind of still do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I said it when I talked at UMS, I mean, like, if, if you're at this school somewhere, somebody has sacrificed financially, somebody has sacrificed, you know, their time, their effort, whether it's a parent, whether it's an uncle, whether it's a teacher, I mean, somebody cares about you, right? Mm-hmm. And none of us get anywhere on our own. So for me, I mean, that's kind of, you know, what, what it's all about. And our purpose statement at our companies, every one of our companies is to see all we can do with all we've been given. And my middle name's Luke. You know, my son's a junior, but he goes by Luke. And I've had Luke 1248 either hanging above my bed or in my office, you know, since I was born. And that's to whom much is given, much is required, and to whom men have committed much, they'll ask the more. Mm-hmm. You know, like I've been blessed. Yeah, you know, I've been privileged to since the day I was born. I've never missed a meal. Yeah, you know, I got to go to UMS from kindergarten all the way through. I got a brand new Dodge pickup truck when I turned 16. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I mean I've had two parents who've cared about me. I mean, my parents are divorced. It wasn't always sunshine and rainbows, but you know, I've always had people in my corner. You know, whether it's you, whether it's my brother. I mean, the list goes mm-hmm. on and on. Somebody has always been there to sacrifice for me or to have my back when I needed it most. And I was thinking about that, you know, the other day and uh about Dr. Havard. You know, yeah. when when I was a junior, the the biggest regret that I ever have growing up, maybe one of the biggest regrets of my life. Only thing I'd ever remember quitting was basketball. Mm -hmm. And I loved basketball. God, I loved it. You know, it was all I wanted to do, you know, as a kid. And as I got into high school, my body started changing and basketball really wasn't my my build. My vertical was about four inches, I think. (laughs) And I got thicker instead of taller. But, you know, Kemper tied and I butted heads a lot, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, But, you know, I respected so much his passion for the game, his passion for discipline, and how much he got out of his players because we just worked. I mean, yeah. I love playing for him. Yeah. You know, sometimes I wanted to, you know, yeah. smoke him, but I mean, <laughs> I respected him so much. I look back, and my dad and Kemper did not get along. Right. And I let too much of that kind of get in my ear. And my junior year, you know, I had busted my tail. I was getting to start, you know, and uh, I had hurt my ankles pretty bad in a practice and had set out the last twenty minutes. And you know, Kemper didn't communicate with me that he wasn't going to start me the next game. And it's his, you know, it's his team. He's yeah. the coach. You know, I'm 16, whatever it was. So I was pretty bitter. So I sat on the sidelines the whole game, and we were losing. And fourth quarter, he put me in during a free throw. And they shot one free throw, and he pulled me back out before they shot the second. And he said, I just didn't look like I was into it. So after the game was wow. over, you know, I told everybody to get out of the locker room, and I locked the door, and I choked him, you mm-hmm. know, choke slammed him. And they finally got the door open and got me off of him. It. it was a pretty bad scene. And needless to say, I quit. Only thing I've ever quit in my life, you know, and, and my dad let me quit, and he actually supported me quitting, and um, and I let my emotions, I let my ego, cost me a chance to play basketball with Charlie and Coleman yeah. and so many else people, Bo, so many yeah. other people I cared about, my last year and a half, um, but also you know it 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 resulted in me you know, get in a pretty bad place, and I'm sure you remember, yeah, but I is. showed up to a basketball game, you know, and completely acted a fool. And, uh, you know, got pulled out of the the gym and cussed at Dr. Havard and Mm -hmm. some other people and got into it with my dad that night. And uh, the next morning when I woke up, you know, guess who was at my house? Dr. Havard. And he wasn't there to tell me that he was kicking me out of school and that, you know, I had no future. It was, you know, concern for me. Are you okay? Like something's going on here because this isn't you. And uh, there was a lot of punishment, you know, that came with my behavior. I spent the next year and a half in detention and had my own private classes, you know, in uh, some areas. But the school stuck by me, and you (laughs) never forget that stuff. Hmm. You don't appreciate it when you're 16. Sure. You know, uh, but simple stuff like, all right, we'll let you go to your senior prom, and Coach Doody is going to escort you out to get a picture, and then he's going to escort you to your car. Mm -hmm. You're not going to get to stay, but, you know, at least you get to go get that picture taken.
0: But, you know, to interrupt you, so I'm thinking about Tony's influence right there. That never happens if there's not a a relationship already built. Sure. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's from the headmaster of the school at the time, which you may or may not have a lot of interaction with him. But oh, I had plenty. Well, <laughs> <laughs> we had a special relationship. But uh, but you know that, that yeah. that's I think that's a very important thing for us to you, you know because sometimes you, you know we do get caught up in uh, you know in the world we want to see you know we want to see what what punitive damage, you know, yeah. what's going to come from a punitive standpoint for behavior. When you're talking about a 16-year-old kid, man, I mean, you know, and there's always a line that you can cross, cross. that you can't go over. Uh, yeah. But, um, you know, I think that's a, that's an incredible story. Yeah, I, I but, I mean,
1: mean, but you, you look back at that stuff now, and and that's what being a, a parent, that's what being yeah. a teacher, that's what being a coach is really all about is like, all right, something else is eating at this kid, yeah.
0: you know did you have the occasion to, to use that example with any of your men in the military or even in business? I mean, yeah. I, I've told my kids and I've told other people that,
1: you know, my biggest regrets quitting yeah. basketball, it's you crazy. know, for sure. I mean, I still have dreams about, playing basketball or Kemper Todd will, you know, pop up. You know, I hadn't seen him yeah. know, since then. Yeah. Uh, but it still eats me up that my ignorance and my ego cost me a chance to do something I love so much. I mean, I think that's such a lesson for all of us. Yeah. Like, yeah. take a breath, man. Ego is powerful, powerful, powerful. And, and people think ego is like you look down on other people, like you're the best and you got it all figured out. Like, that's not ego. Do some studying. Yeah, you know, really do some soul searching. Ego's all kinds of things, man. It's like we think we can control things. We think that we can navigate. We think that we can figure out. Like a lot of times it's just, man, you just gotta surrender and, mm. and let it roll and just do the best you can do. Yeah. You know, and if I had to leave everybody with just like one piece of advice, like if you always commit to doing the right thing for the right reasons, you can live with any result. Mm. And that's kind of the litmus test at our organizations. And I'll kind of go back to some of our company set up, but I always tell you know my folks, like, man, you never have to worry about anything, whether it costs me money, whether it's the wrong decision. As long as you can answer that question where you try to make the right decision for the right reasons, that's all that matters. You know, that's all you got to think of. And back to where we are, you know, to that end, like I told you, our, our purpose statement is to see all we can do with all we've been given. You know, we've, we've been blessed as an organization and we want to go carry that out into this community and, and ultimately the world. But yeah, we've got 17, 18 different operating businesses now. But uh, you know, all really centered around real estate services, construction, development. We're Gulf Coast oriented. You know, Mobile yeah. to Port St. Joe. And uh, but what I do day in and day out, 68 Ventures is our holding company. You know, for these different um, businesses, is I, I bet on people. You know, that, mm-hmm. that's what I do. You know, that's where I derive all my fulfillment. You know, that's what I enjoy. I love the deal-making side of everything I do. But at the end of the day, like, what really gets me fired up is meeting somebody, coming across somebody, having a long-term relationship with somebody, and being like, look, we can go do this together. And then my job is to give them the resources, help with relationships, and hopefully share some wisdom on things yeah. I've screwed up along the way to maybe save them some pain. But I can have a 1,000 companies, and if I've picked the right person every time, then my job is the easiest thing in the world. Yeah, but I can have one, and yeah. if I got the wrong person, it is a dumpster fire disaster.
0: So, so that's exactly what my motivation is as a as a school leader. We, you know, and and what what I what I enjoy most in my job now, mm-hmm. you know, what I enjoy most in coaching and teaching was having the relationships with the students and like people like you and like Brad or Brandon, any any of those guys that I had the chance to know as a as a young coach that I. Completely fouled up most of the time, but but now I, my I, I love, I love, team building, mm-hmm. I, and I don't mean the the performance. I, I mean the concept of building a team, and and watching when you give somebody or create autonomy for them to go and do their task mm-hmm. at a certain range. That's what I believe sets UMS right apart right now from a lot of organizations, a lot of schools, is that. You know, we meet every Monday as a a leadership team. And to hear when you give them those opportunities, Nathan, and and they go off on a a way that maybe you wouldn't have done it, but then it comes back around and it works. And so you've created in them confidence and the ability to lead someone else. That is where I get the most of my my, my enjoyment from that. I I absolutely love that. And I'm devastated. Like you said, if you got – if a thousand work and one doesn't, that's the one you focus on. I'm devastated when it doesn't. Sure. You know, I mean, it's – I don't – but but that's what it, what drives me. Well, you touched on it earlier. I mean, here's the reality. I mean, mediocre
1: people hate high achievers, and high achievers can't stand mediocre people, you know? And your responsibility as the leader is you've got to surround your team with people that are culture fits, yeah. you know, that get it, want it, have the capacity to do it. Because if you don't have other, you know, motivated, highly driven folks around that want to go care and get things done the right way, it's going to bring everybody else down. And the bigger you get, you know, the harder that becomes. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's so important to instill the things of knowing who you are and who you aren't. And I think UMS has always done a really good job good with point. that. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's it's just as important to know what you're willing not to do sure. as what you will do. You know, that's why I always say, like, if you want to go achieve something, tell me what you're going to give up. You know, tell me what you're not going to do. Okay, so you want to go build a business? I got up at 2 in the morning for eight years, you know, six, seven days a week. And nobody, nobody thinks about that. Now sleep into four or five, you know, I'm coasting now, <laughs> You know, but I mean, like, do you yeah. want to do that? Yeah. You know, people always say, well, I'll, you know, I want to do this or I want what you have. Like, well, are you willing to do what I've done to go do it? Are you willing to take every dollar you've made since the day you started and continue to bet it on black every single time? Mm-hmm. You know, are you willing to do that? Well, I'm really conservative. Like, okay, well, this ain't gonna happen. Yeah, man, or it may you know? not be your. Yeah. yeah, and that's okay. Yeah, You're a, different. The world right. does not need everybody to be like me. Like we have all <laughs> kinds gotta... of problems to sort out. Yeah, you know? but you got to know who you are. You got to know really what you want to be, and then you've got to be honest with yourself. Are you willing to go do those things necessary to have a chance to achieve it? Because I can promise you, there's nothing special about me. Like if you want to say, what are my competitive advantages? I have an extremely high pain tolerance and extremely high risk tolerance, mm. you know? And I'm willing to battle myself, you know, every yeah. day of the week because I feel like if you give me enough time, you can't beat me, you know, because I will not quit until I'm dead. It doesn't mean I'm more talented than you. It doesn't mean I'm smarter than you. It doesn't mean anything else. But you cannot beat me, you know, if you give me enough time. Mm. You know, one way or another, we'll figure it out.
0: What is – um? what's next for, for you? You um, know uh, –
1: Uh, you know, I hit 40 this year and my wife was like, uh, you know, you want to do a big party or anything else? I was Like, you know what I want? I want a week by myself. And she's like, what does that look like? I was like, I don't know yet, but i want a week by myself. So I actually, uh, took a week by myself, went down to Costa Rica, hired some like, you know, awesome, amazing, you know, spiritual, just in touch with the earth kind of dude, you know, put the phone up for a week, bounced around the jungle, Slept on the beach. I mean, just had an absolute blast. But, you know, a week of you know, no coffee. I mean, just completely off the grid. And, uh, you know, kind of just thought about that. And, yeah. and really, you, know, you look at your life and, like, everything that you're proud of, and it all comes down to relationships and experiences, you know? Yep. And, and I tell my kids and I tell everybody else who will listen to me, the, the things that I am most proud of that I want to sit here and talk to you about, are the things that were the hardest, the things mm. that were the most painful. You hear me talking today. I'm talking about some of the most embarrassing sure. failures that I had growing up. I'm not talking about getting named all state. Like, who cares? Nobody cares. You know, like let's talk about stuff that's real. Let's talk about what you faced and how you able to. But why to is oversight? that such
0: an important lesson today for people? Because you know why, Nathan? We we don't want students and young people to fail. We want to promote a path for them of least resistance. And you just yeah. said it yourself. When you have that path. If you're not failing, you're not trying. That's exactly. And no. you're not growing.
1: Yeah. If you're not failing, you're not trying. If, if you're winning every time, then you're not challenging yourself. You're not playing yeah. up to the competition, you know. But – but, you know, I mean, I, I go back to, to that, you know, spending that time, you know, on the soul searching side of things. But, you know, what really is next? And and it is that. It is investing in people. It's mm. the people that are already in my life that I care about. It's the people that God's going to put on my path next to where I can take whatever blessings I've had and then be able to leverage, to be able to go have a ripple effect. I mean, there's no more time in the day. Yeah. So the only time to be a force multiplier, is Brad, you know, always talks yeah. about, is to be able to find those people who can move the needle, you know, go teach them whatever you can teach them, go be a support system for them and let them go out and do amazing things. I mean, and, and that's what it really is, you know, all about. And you know, the lesson that I want to continue to just drill home to my kids, and I think this is important in the role y'all are in, is just making sure all these kids understand, like, they're enough. Like, they're okay with hmm. who they are. They don't have to take the path that, well, you need to go to UVA and then you need to go to law school, like – BS. You need to go do what fulfills you, what makes you happy. And I can promise you, like, if the path is like, oh, if if I make all this money, I'm going to be happy. Like, our daily alignment that Brad and I did, I kicked one out the other day, like, happy win. Yeah. I'll be happy. I'll be happy once I go play football at Alabama I'll be happy once I finish law school I'll be happy once I buy a house on the bay like man that is the biggest fallacy you will ever fall into and I struggle with that being present in the moment is something that is very difficult for me yeah. you know but if 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 we can all just kind of recommit to knowing what really is important which are the people in our life which are the things that we get to do which either bring us closer to god or you know fill our soul up with things that make her make us happier just have those wow moments but you're know, going back to it, like everything that's hard and challenging that's what's rewarding absolutely you're not like god i remember when i was at the four seasons sitting on the beach and wow <laughs> let me tell you about this day you know yeah. i had a waiter you know he just kept bringing <laughs> me drinks and it was incredible had the best nachos you know, like nobody cares. No. God. And you certainly don't yeah. remember it. You had yeah. to make it up. Let me so. tell you about a story of the Marine Corps, yeah. you know, where I didn't sleep for a week. And, you know, there was an 18 year old kid who was on his third deployment and mm. just watched his buddy ahead of him die. And he kept running in and, you know, saved somebody else's life. Like, that's. And what that's, makes you do that? Yeah.
0: Well, you, you, it sounds like to me, in talking with you, oh. and you are such a strong, you know, you, you, you possess whether it's a learned trait or whether it's just part of your DNA, but you, it seems like to me you you are a staunch reflector, mm-hmm. right? Do you spend time I mean I mean how important is reflection for you? Do you
1: Yeah, so pain equals progress, right? You know, and again, I've screwed up so many things over the course of my life that you have to kind of say, "All right, what is the lesson there?" And I'll tell you another thing on the spiritual side of it, like God is going to get what he wants, you know? So if he if he makes something happen or he puts something in your path, it's for a reason. If you don't heed it, it's going to happen again. And the next time it's going to be more dramatic, right? You know, if whatever it may be, you know, if it's ego, you know, if hubris needs to take place for you to get right, you know, if it's an addiction that you're battling, if it's not treating a spouse well, whatever it may be, you know, he may give you a kind of a gentle nudge to kind of warn you the first time. And if you don't pay attention to it, it's going to be more painful the next time. And if you don't, Hit at that time, there's gonna be an eighteen wheeler steamrolling you. Mm-hmm. You know, eventually he's gonna get you, you know, where you kind of need to be. So from the reflection standpoint, I think yeah, it, it is taking inventory of where I've failed with relationships. You know, and there's some people that I've lost touch with over the way of my professional journey. You know, to where I screwed it up. You know, I yeah. had somebody that I was super close with. They worked with me. I handled the situation the wrong way. You know, I lost my cool. I said some things that you can't take back. Yeah. I mean, you said it. Yeah. There's certain lines, once yeah. you cross, you can't walk it back. And unfortunately, I've had some instances where that happened. And I've had some of my best friends work with me. And in some cases, it's been phenomenal and the best thing I've ever done. You know, Brad, Charlie are two of those examples. I've got other friends from the Marine Corps who've moved down, down here. Uh, and it's been the same type of story. I've had others where it hadn't gone well. Mm. You know, and I, and I take the responsibility for that. Uh, And I get that question all the time, like, how do you navigate having friends work with you or family or whatever it may be? And at the end of the day, like if if you put somebody in the right situation and they're the right personality type, you know, for that role, and they are a high achiever and they have a high standard of excellence and they're capable of performing, you know, it works out fine. Right. But when you try to create something or it's just like, well, this is my buddy I've, you know, been drinking beer with for 30 years and I want to be able to hang out with him when I want to, it's not going to work out. You know, And it's also just surrounding yourself with people who are going to challenge you and hold you accountable. I mean, there's no greater act of love than telling somebody something they don't want to hear. You know? mm. And that is so hard to do. And I try to surround myself with people, even though they, quote, work for me, that'll pull me aside or call me out in a meeting and just be like, hey, man, that's not indicative of who you are and who we are. Like, I, you may be in a, a little emotional right now, but... That's not how we need to handle this. Or you said that very sarcastically. I knew what you meant. She didn't. You need to go talk to her. Good
0: point. Is there anything that, as we get ready to close, is there anything you're reading or listening to? Do you, are you, a, if, are you? A, if you
1: came to my office or you came to my house, there's books everywhere. Yeah. I mean, I, I've got a thousand books at any given time that are started. You mm-hmm. know, I don't know how many are finished, yeah. but yeah, it's, uh, it's funny. Like, you know, I say this all the time people kick me books because, you know, Brad and I have a daily alignment. Yeah. We send out, you know, five days a week. And I've been doing that now for over 10 years. And um, if anybody wants it, you can go to our website, 68ventures.com, and sign up or email, you know, Brad or I, and we'll get you signed up. We got a couple thousand people on that thing. And our format is that we find articles that other people have written, you know, Mm -hmm. and then we add a little paragraph or two to the beginning with a main takeaway or here was a reflective point. And Brad approaches things more from kind of like a PhD on leadership because he's so immersed in it. I'm more kind of like us talking today, like here's some real life where I've screwed something up along the way or something I've learned or what resonates with me. But, you know, so many of these books all say the same thing. Everybody's got kind of their own little spin on it. Uh, yeah. So what I try to do is like keep things pretty simple. Like what are the few things that work for me? What are the few things that work for somebody else? And really kind of, you know, stick to those. Uh, but as far as anything specific that I'm reading or studying, you know, I love anything that's a biography or autobiography. Mm -hmm. I love hearing somebody else's story. You know, the storytelling to me is what's so powerful. What other people have overcome because everything's hard. I mean, anything worth doing is hard. Don't kid yourself. If anybody tells me something's going to be a, a 10x return and it's easy and it's can't miss, I'm like, I'm out. I'm out. Somebody's <laughs> like, this is going to be miserable. It's going to be really hard, and there's a chance it may work. I'm like, that sounds perfect. Right. You know, but uh, mm. yeah, anything on the biography, autobiography part is really good. Um, I'm a big fan of stoicism. You know, I've read a lot on that. I enjoy anything, you know, biblical, you know, on the story side, I don't get too into the deep theological, you know, mm-hmm. hard to ascertain what exactly is going on here, but break it down and give me the parable side of it. I really enjoy that kind of stuff. But, you know, I think the short blurbs are so yeah. much content, you know, out there. Um, you know, I'm not real big on podcasts and everything Cause if, if I'm, you know, on a phone, I need to be on a yeah. phone, but, uh, no man, there's just except so for much the good right stuff. way.
0: You're going to get kind of plugged in. Oh right yeah, 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 man! I tell you,
1: this, <laughs> if this doesn't become part of my routine, you know, I don't what know you what you said. Will. You know what
0: you say before we started. You said like, what, give me yeah, the stat. yeah.
1: I said I saw something on the uh, the morning brew, which is one of the few news things that I actually look at because it's so quick it said there were over 5 million podcasts on Spotify and only 26% of them had more than one episode so congratulations Absolutely, buddy. you've we made 11, the top yeah. 26%. <laughs> I mean there's no telling on the uh, if you went to 11 but I think it's the same way with like businesses what is it like 80% 90% yeah. fail within the first yeah. 5 years. So we've had a couple that had not worked don't kid yourself no, not every not everyone we've touched has yeah, turned yeah, to gold yeah. but it's a lot of fun. I got amazing people that I get to spend my time with. And, you know, it's pretty cool to see people that I've been friends with since kindergarten who are working with me on the professional side. I think Brad said that. He said, man, I was at something the other day and five people in our class, one of his kids' classes, worked in our organization. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I think there were a couple I hadn't even met yet. That is so, really that cool. pretty neat. Well,
0: listen, I, I know... Um... I know that uh, that you got a million things going on. You're dropping kids at camps and and running running wild. There's
1: nothing more important than
0: sitting right here nah, with brother. you right now, Coach Bar. Hey, I appreciate the time. I appreciate our relationship. Uh, I appreciate <clears throat> you know your your willingness to uh, to include me and, and 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 be genuine with us as we as we look for, to different people and we try to learn and we try to grow. I, I'm inspired always. I always like talking to you, man. You, you I never know what I'm gonna get. Uh, but I always know what I'm going to get, so yeah. I appreciate that.
1: Yeah, and if I could, you know, just kind of the last thing to mm-hmm. kind of say, I'd say something to the kids and then something to the parents too. Sure. But, you know, for the uh, the kids' side, you know, one, don't squander the opportunity you got to be at a school like this. You know, you won't appreciate it till you're long gone. You know, you really won't. And I, I appreciate UMS more at this very second today than I ever have. Mm. You know, I took it for granted. I always loved the people I was yeah. with. I did. But I took – For granted, the opportunity, how much people care, the standard they hold you to, I didn't fully appreciate it until I got later in life. Uh, And then for the parents, man, like don't let your kids fall into some kind of fallacy that they got to fix a box, you know, or fit in a box. Encourage them, you know, let them flourish, let them be who they are, whatever that is, and it's not you. You know, they got completely different things that they're dealing with today than any of us did, you know, and uh, just because you went down a road doesn't mean that's what they got to do and they're all special. They're all amazing and of themselves and just feed
0: that side of it. You know? Well said, brother. All right. Nathan Cox, class of two thousand. Um if you, need always, me, if you need
1: me, just harass Brad. It gives can get, me great
0: I, pleasure. You know, I can so. get to you. I can get to a bunch of you with the class of two thousand. Yeah. I can I can get to you guys. I was um...
1: I'm gonna send you a bill for all my therapy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it made you who you are. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Between you and Coach Duty, I still have bruises. Emotional scars, the emotional scars, scars, brother.
0: God. Dude. All right, thanks, Nathan. Yeah, and, thank uh, you all, it's been a blast. Absolutely. Hey, um, there's nothing better, nothing better than, than hearing uh, the influences and the, the men and women that these people that, that have come through this school, the, the impact that they're making in, in this world on their families and, uh, and, and in their businesses. So this is Doug. Uh, until next time, this is the right way.